I was at a wedding. Several of you were there as well. And it was one of those dances, you know, where it's like, all right, everyone who is a married couple come out and dance. And so we all go out and we dance. And then it, it's where each year that you've been married, you go off. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> if you're watching online, there are just F-16s or whatever flying above me. Uh, but if you are uh, married for a certain number of years, you go off stage. You guys know this, this whole thing. And so Meg and I, it was one of those moments where like, oh no, we're getting old. Because it's like, okay, everyone who's been married one year, leave. Then it's three years, leave. And then it's five years, leave. And then it's 10 years, leave. And then 15 years. Meg and I have been married for 15 years, which is incredible. I don't even look. I do it for the applause. And uh, she's so blessed to have me. Amen. Uh, No, so 15 years. And it keeps going up. Several people that were here at the church, I'm not going to name names. They got to dance a little bit longer, which was awesome. But the person who won it was 60 years. The couple that won it, they had been together for 60 years. Now, what's amazing, actually, it was more than 60 years, but what was amazing about it is that they said, uh, the, the DJ said, give us your advice on what it was. And they said this, never go to bed angry. It's really interesting because they didn't say anything about love and they didn't say anything about sex. It's incredible. And, and, and Meg and I were like, we're going to go over and talk to them afterwards. And again, they talked about how hard it's been, but how good it's been. And Meg and I were thinking, and we began to question, like, what are we celebrating as a culture? What are we celebrating as a culture? You know, we celebrate a lot, but often we don't celebrate things that make a generational impact. We celebrate people who maybe stick out, and that's good, but, but we, 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 we want to say these people are the people who committed to one another. This is what we should be celebrating as a community. Amen? And it was incredible. 60-plus years is incredible. And people that, that, that uh, do this is incredible. So this is, a feeling, this is one of those sermons. I, I've been struggling with it. If you're new here, I hope you hear my heart. You don't really know me, but I hope you know my heart. I'm going to, at times in this sermon, I'm just going to lay this out there. I might sound old school, and I might sound judgmental. I might sound out of touch, okay? Those are the words that I kind of was praying to say, Lord, what are the words that people might look at me when I say this? But I want to challenge you to listen closely to this word because I want us to put aside any preconceived notion that you have because today I'm going to talk about the importance of marriage. I am going to talk about the importance of marriage. It's not going to be exhaustive, but there will be probably some questions that you have afterwards, and that's totally fine. I'm willing to talk to you guys about it because I can't cover it all. But we are going to talk about the importance of marriage. We're going to look at it scripturally, and then we're going to look at it on a cultural level as well on what is happening. We've been walking through the book of Mark. We find ourselves at Mark 10. If you guys want to open your Bibles, nobody has their Bibles anymore. I think it was like two guys. All right, I see. There's a couple of Bibles. We've got phones. Mark 10, we're in the way of Jesus. These are Jesus' words, and he's going to say this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he's going to say this, marriage is important. Now, I want to acknowledge this. This is a difficult topic. Uh, It's a conversation where I have to be bold and sensitive at the same time. And I'm going to be bold, and I hope you hear my heart that I'm going to be sensitive at the same time. 
Because I want to start here. I am a product of divorce. My parents split up when I was a junior in high school. It was a years of fighting and disagreement and pain and sorrow. And it's really interesting because when I was reflecting on it today uh, uh, or this week, it's actually interesting because I am dealing with a lot of it still. And my family is dealing with a lot of it still. 20 years later, there is still heartache, there is still confusion, and there is still a sense of rejection. We openly talk about this. You would think that we have moved past it, but we haven't. And many of you have similar stories. Many of you have divorce in your family origin story. Many of you can relate to me. You know firsthand that there is generational impact that happens when divorce takes place. Some of you have gone through your own divorces. You've wrestled with these things. You've grieved. Maybe some of you are still grieving. And yet some of you are like, I haven't been married and I'm not even dating. And why am I here? This was the week to miss. But I would say this, if that's you, if that's you, and, and everyone in the room that's been married or has gone through this stuff, this message might be the most important for you. I'm looking at this side of the room. This might be the most important message for you because you need to talk about this stuff before you get married. It is something that is so important that you have to think through this stuff. But with all those sensitivities in mind, it's mission critical that we talk about these things. I think many experts would agree that the societal problems that we're having, I think that it's a cop-out when we begin to point at politicians or we begin to point at institutions or we begin to point at big business. I think that they have stuff to blame. I'm not saying they're perfect by any means. But the, at the end of family structure and family units and people living together and raising kids in the Lord, it leads to what we're experiencing out there. I really, truly believe that. And we can do everything we want on the macro level. And we oftentimes think macro because the micro gets a little too close to home sometimes. Amen? I'm going to make this. God has an ideal, and he meant for us to grow up in a supportive family. Proverbs, Proverbs 22, 6. If you, if you have a child, this is a verse that you have to set into your heart. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Many of us grew up in broken families. Many of us were raised in a family that maybe showed us, that, that didn't show us God's love or didn't show us God's commandments. Some of us grew in homes where with our, their mouths, our parents said these things, but their lifestyle was so far from it. That was my childhood. And, and, and what we see is that God set up an ideal. God has a God-ordained ideal that was meant for all of us to flourish, amen? Not only on an individual level, but on a societal level. This is what it's all about. A husband and a wife staying together and raising their kids in the Lord. But often it breaks down. It leads to pain and heartache. And it's, it's interesting, in some ways, our culture is very unstable, do you feel that? Like, I think that's the word that I keep thinking when I think about what's going on. It's unstable. And when you think about it, marriage 
something that was supposed to bring stability to us, stability to our young people, stability to the next generation is just as unstable as, as the society, right? It's not a very stable institution in our current reality. It's interesting, and I know there's reasons that they do this, but when you get your uh, marriage license, you get this big envelope, right? And it comes with all this paperwork and all this stuff, and you, you shake it out. And one of the brochures is literally on it. It says, how to get a divorce. So within the marriage license, there is a brochure on how to get a divorce. Now, I, I understand it legally. It's probably something like that. But it's so ingrained, and this is how it's even going to be, okay? And so there's, on a societal level, it's interesting. I want to talk about this. If Tesla, all right, let's say Tesla. Some of us are Tesla fans, some are not. But if Tesla, I just use that, came out with a car that within the first couple years broke down at 50%, the news media would go crazy. The politicians would have... Uh, meeting after meeting after meeting. They would be like, Tesla, you have to be accountable to this. Experts would be trying to figure this out. But we see this. It's just a car. You can get a new car. But something that was meant to be stable in culture building is falling apart at 50%. That has generational impact that affects an entire society and hardly anyone is talking about it. Hardly anyone's talking about it, including in the church. I'm so thankful that we're going through the book of Mark because it is one of those topics that you can just avoid. And then you hit Mark 10 and you're like, can't avoid it, all right? Today, let's talk about it. Mark 10, one through four. Jesus then left the place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him and as he was, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What does Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. So a group of Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, right? They come and they ask Jesus about divorce. And they do it in order to test him. There's a lot going on in this conversation. Jesus was asked to give a, rule, a ruling on a point of law that was greatly debated in Jewish schools at the time, okay? This is a debate that's happening. So they, could, they want him to have the wrong answer because they want to rise opposition against him, okay? And the Pharisees are going to ask him about this question that comes out in Deuteronomy 24. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 24. How fun is it to look in the book of Deuteronomy? Now, all the Pharisees, again, the religious leaders of the day, agreed on a few things in this passage. One, that it was permitted to get a divorce. That two, only the husband could initiate it. And three, that divorce implied the right to remarry. But they greatly disagreed on the grounds of divorce. So let's look at it. Deuteronomy 24, 1-4. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. And if she leaves his house and she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. 
that would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do, you, do not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now, the interpreters of the law at the time of Jesus were concerned mostly with this line, something displeasing. That's where the argument was, something displeasing. It could be interpreted something indecent or something shameful. But they were interested in not only interpreting that line, but they're interested in what's going on in contemporary life. Because it's, it's important to note that like the world today, in Roman culture, divorce was very prevalent. This was a thing. They, they didn't, they, they, it was much like we have today. So the debate was on what does this line mean? And there were two lines of thought. There was a leading rabbi, Shammai, who lived in a generation before Jesus, who said that a man was authorized to divorce his wife if he married her on the understanding that she was a virgin and then discovered that she was not. And so he ties it to Deuteronomy 22, which addresses uh, this very topic. And so his line of thought was that it was meant to be a sexual relation problem outside of marriage. Then there could be divorce. Now, the other school of thought was this contemporary, which was Rabbi Halal, and he interpreted it much looser. He's like, men, more or less, anything that the husband finds offensive. If she's quarrelsome, if, she fi if you find another woman more attractive, if, you, uh, if you're, they're not living up to some way in your head, it's okay to get a divorce. So this is the backdrop of what Jesus is dealing with. This is what the Pharisees are asking him. He's like, what do you think? Probably the Pharisees who asked this were probably split themselves. They probably lived on one of the two schools of thought. And so they're asking him for him to answer the, right, the wrong thing. We see in Matthew's account, the same story. They ask him, Matthew 19, 3, some Pharisees came to him to what? Test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, Jesus is going to respond. I love Jesus. He, he bypasses the traditional interpretation, and he even bypasses the debate. He's like, I'm not even going to get into that debate. And he himself is going to point right back to what God himself has said. Mark 10, 5 to 12. It was because your heart was hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Jesus says, Moses wrote this law not as the ideal. He wrote because you're hardened, you have a hardness of your heart. Just like this, Jesus, over and over and over again, if you remember, he talks about the Sabbath law. He talks about the Sabbath law, and he's, he's, their question keeps coming, what's permissible on the Sabbath? And he brings the marriage law, just like he did the Sabbath law, back to the first principles. 
He goes back to the beginning of creation, and he's reaffirming the permanent nature that this was always meant to be. And he's reaffirming this permanent nature. And he elevates marriage. In this comment, he elevates marriage. He's like, the law you pointed to was given because of human sinfulness, not because of God's ideal. This is not what it was supposed to be. And the debate was the, the Pharisees are like, what are the loopholes? Look, Phil and I were talking about this. All of us love loopholes. We do. There's no way around it. My son loves to point out loopholes. When I am driving, my littlest son, Abraham, always lets me know when I am one mile per hour over the speed limit, which I have to explain loopholes to him. And I say, I have talked to police officers, and you can go a certain number over and all. And he's like, Dad, the speed limit's 60. You're going 60. Whatever. I won't. I don't know. Statues of limitations. I'm explaining loopholes to him. Like, I am literally explaining loopholes, which he will not let me get out of loopholes. My, my brother-in-law and I had a great debate on if it was, if you can go eight over or nine over, and, uh, and it's zero over, if we're being honest. We all love loopholes. We all love loopholes, especially when things are hard. We're always looking for loopholes. There's no sugarcoating this. I feel like I get up here all the time, and I should be telling you guys how to live your best life, and instead I just crush you guys. Being in relationships is never easy. I say to us as a church, get in relationship, get in relationship, get in relationship, knowing that I'm calling you to the harder life, but the better life. Marriage is the same. Marriage is a relationship. It's hard. The 60 plus people told us, but it's God's ideal. So it's worth it. And we see many times that marriages do get healed. And we see many times that marriages do get restored when things are tough. And we see that there are benefits to the couple's lives, but this is what I want to make the argument. There is so much benefits to the next generation's life. That's what I'm fighting for. I have told you since the beginning, we are, if you want to be on this ride where we're trying to figure out this crazy church planting thing where it's like lobby people and regular people, we are building this church not for your happiness, but we're building this church that the next generation, the kids at Redeemed Church, will be will continue a church at Graveling Bridgeport for generation upon generation upon generation. That's what God desires. God remi or Jesus reminds them, and thus uh, that this thus us of the biblical account of the importance of marriage, that we are not to take the culture and conform our view around that, but we are literally supposed to say, God, what is your ideal? Notice Jesus does not idolize marriage. He does not say that every marriage is heavenly. <laughs> you can ask my wife. She would not say that about our marriage sometimes. He's saying marriage is from heaven. There is a spiritual significance that's happening when you're married. It's really hard to explain. I'm looking at this generation. There is a spiritual significance when you get married. Uh, when you get married, there is something spiritual that's going on. We look at it in the carnal view, right? But Jesus is saying, no, there was a spiritual thing that happened. That's why it's so hard. It was instituted to create a new union. 
There's a new thing happening, Genesis 2. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, Jesus points out this ideal, and notice there are three verbs that happen. One, leaving. Two, being united. And three, becoming one. God shows us how this is to work. A man is to depart his family and in front of the public and legally, he is making a union. He is saying this is no longer a dating relationship. Why is this important? When you do that, the responsibility now is on the bride and the groom. You now enter into marriage building. All right. And it says this, you are to be united. Now, the Hebrew word here it implies this sticking together like glue, okay? If you had, this has been used a lot, but if you have two sheets of paper and you put glue on each side and you stick them together like glue, you cannot tear one sheet of the paper without hurting the other sheet of paper. There is a uniting. They are both going to be hurt. There is a uniting of two becoming one. One of the great dangers that we have done in the church is that we make that line all about sexual relations. That's, that's part of Oh, Siri just heard me, my watch. That is not what is happening. It's not just there is a sexual element to it. There is a personal element to it. But it's calling a man and a woman to all that they have, their bodies, their possessions, their feelings, their joys, and their suffering to be united. This is the ideal. In our culture, I feel like people, even maybe in this room, are getting a little squirmy, like, oh, that sounds awful. But God's saying this is how it's meant to be. Marriage is not about being together. It's about belonging to each other. It's not about being together. It's about belonging to each other. We are glued together. The Hebrew word is glued together. Marriage is a union where two individuals become one. Marriage math, one plus one equals one. It's really weird. One plus one equals one. Each person is complete in Christ. You're complete in Christ as an individual. But when you get married and God gives you a spouse, it's to teach us our need for him, but also to teach us what his love looks like. That's what marriage is. Marriage is not about seeking personal happiness. It's about growing in godliness. But we know that sinfulness gets in the way of that, the ideal. And what I want to say is that there's a great lie on when it comes to marriage. It, a lot of people say we fell out of love. That's not what's going on. It was not a falling out of love. It was sinfulness that led to the brokenness. 
You guys, if you've been through it, you know that. It's not that you just fall out of love. It's selfishness. We're a, we are a society where feelings are the end of all meaning. There is danger to that. That feelings are the, are the end of all meaning. I was listening to a secular podcast where a guy said that if we go the way of feelings, we're really messed up because feelings are not actually the truth. Feelings are what you feel in a moment. And that's going to change one way or the other, maybe even within minutes. But when we say our feeling is the end of it all, then we just come to a place of emptiness because we're chasing feeling after feeling after feeling. Selfishness gets in the way. Wanting to find ourselves gets in the way of this stuff. It's sinfulness. We know who we are in Christ when we become united together. Unable to forgive, anger, bitterness, not communicating, anxiety, drunkenness, addiction, all of this has broken up marriages. Sin always messes with God's ideal. That's just it. It's no different with marriages. Marriage is not a contract of temporary convenience. It's a covenant. Two people joining together before God and witnesses. So, as a Christian community, this is what I'll say. We fight for ideal. We fight for ideal. Matthew's version of the interchange, Jesus' ruling has added words. Matthew 19, 7 through 8. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wife because your hearts were hard. Again, same word. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 32. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The Greek word for sexual morality is this sexual intercourse apart from marriage, anything. Basically, this behavior that violates the one flesh concept. The basic element of marriage is the one flesh concept. Anything that goes beyond that is outside of God's ordeal. Now note, when unfaithfulness is involved, let me be very sensitive here because many of the people have walked through this. It hurts. It's so painful. I do not want to lessen this at all. But at the same time, notice it's not a commandment. It's that it's permitted. Jesus, when it, within the church, I believe that he, whenever possible, he wants us to fight for the ideal. Everyone, this will be a church where we fight for the ideal, okay? Let's put that out there. And we have things that are in place for that. You can meet with me. We have counselors that are willing to meet for free. We have... Um, different resources. We have life groups. Forgiveness and reconciliation are preferable to divorce always, okay? Marriage is a sacred covenant. Divorce is not God's preference. Jesus doesn't put just grounds for divorce just in general. He wants to talk about how marriages can work, okay? Jesus very clearly is against nonchalant divorce. That's what I'm going to make sure that we see. 
Paul, 1 Corinthians 7, let's go in this. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's going to go through a lot. He's going to talk about a lot. One, he's going to, it's like a whole nother sermon that we could do. One, he's going to talk about husbands and wives giving themselves to each other. I love that line because it's actually an equality thing. Like, he's not like men got to do this. Like, it's like, no, this is how this marriage thing's supposed to work. It's beautiful. And then he talks about singleness. There might be some people in this room that are called to singleness. I do not want this to idolize marriage. Some people, if you're called to singleness or you've been single for a while, it's a beautiful thing. Matter of fact, Paul's like, Hey, if you're weak enough, you got to get married. He's like, singleness is actually a beautiful thing. Be on mission, right? So singleness is a beautiful thing. I just want to make sure that everyone hears that. But then he talks about marriage, and he doesn't move from Jesus' stance, 1 Corinthians 7, 10, and 11. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not celebrate, separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. And then he responds to a question that is, coming from the believers of Corinth. Paul needed to address the case of a, a man or a woman who converts to Christianity. One of the reasons I'm, I'm bringing this up is because we live in an unchurched uh, county, one of the least faithful counties. And so this might be something that comes up within our church where a, a person comes and they convert to Christianity, but their partner doesn't. And, and, and what we see is Paul gives us instructions, 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 16, to the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through the wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether uh, you will save your wife? In general, Paul takes Jesus' stance on divorce, but he's going to say this. If you become a believer and your spouse does not, you are first supposed to stay in that relationship. There's a beautiful thing to that, okay? There's a beautiful thing. Like there is a, a, our transformed life hopefully will lead to more transformed life. Again, I really see it over and over again. Jesus is all about generational impact. He, he knows it's not about us. It's about impacting. He wants everyone to know the love and the transformation of the Lord. But if they leave, there's an abandonment it says there's no longer bound. It's all hard stuff. I also want to speak to this one thing because I, I don't have enough time. In today's world, there's a lot of gray areas when it comes to this stuff. And I know many people's stories. There, there is physical and mental abuse that happens. Like it is active. It's in our communities. It's a real thing. There are addictions and there is... Um, how do I say this? Uh, 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 I've heard many people where uh, people don't protect the home because they just spend all their money on addictions or gambling or whatever it is, right? And so there is all this area. I'm not going to address it, but I will say this, that if that's some, someone's going through that or if there's people in your life that are going through it, find us. Talk to our leadership. I, we want to walk through that. And we also have counselors to walk through that. 
I just didn't want to leave that big thing because I know that that's a, that's a big thing that's going on. I want to say this. Why is this message so important? I want to start with those who have been through a divorce, and I want to say this. God's grace is sufficient. Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, for all the crud that we went through and all the crud that we did. I am forgiven. I speak up here as a forgiven person. I stand up here as a sinner who needs God's grace every day. Every Sunday morning, I run. And during that run, I am just asking the Lord to reveal anything in me that is sinful and detestable in his sight. Because I get up here as somebody under the blood of Jesus, not someone that's done it perfectly, okay? Many of us have done mistakes, and so we repent. We repent. We are a church of repentance, a beautiful thing. It's his loving kindness that we repent. And we let the Holy Spirit reshape our hearts and our thinking when it comes to this stuff. Through all the pain that you've been through, God's grace is enough. But not only that, but the Holy Spirit wants to repair and reshape your heart and your thinking. We let Christ rule in our lives. This is not the unforgivable sin. But there is a lot of unwinding and untwisting and bounding that happens that you have to work through. Those struggling in their marriage right now, not, let me put it this way. You may be in a painful season in your marriage. Let's not put it into, let's put it into perspective, okay? You might be in a painful season in your marriage. Fight for the ideal. Fight for the ideal. Uh, that's the word that I'm going to put around this church. We fight. We, we, we join in the battle for the ideal. You need help. The problem, every counselor always tells me, the problem with it is that you ask for help about three to five years too late. You've been living with it for many, many years, and the counselor is like, oh my goodness, when this first came up, if we could just deal with it, we would not be down the road this far. There is no shame in this room. My wife and I have met with people, all right? There is no shame in this room. We have three things going on. We will pray with you. We have counselors where there is no, the thing I love about this church, there is no shame in this church. There, like any of our counselors that will meet with you, they, they do not feel above you. They have walked through this themselves. And there's life groups. Everyone needs to be in a life group because we come together to fight for the ideal, all right? Again, it's not about being together. It's about belonging to each other. I want to speak to this to the men. Don't let your wives do all the heavy lifting. <laughs> men, men, your wives are not in charge of your marriage. You lead your family. Ephesians 5, 25, we can talk about women respecting their husbands all we want, and that's a whole other conversation. I totally understand that. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. This is your calling. Men, I want to be a, a church where the men are like, they are on fire. 
They are loving their wives well. They're raising their kids in Christ. We want them to see Jesus when people walk through this door, and we start with the men. Because the women have been carrying a lot for us. Let's step up. If you are good in this marriage, if you have a good marriage in this church, and I don't know how you define that, but you need to listen to this message because I guarantee there will be times that you have to counsel people through this, okay? I hope that this message, this is not one of my fiery messages. I hope this is one of the messages that it gives you words on how to address people who are walking through this, okay? Because there is a boldness that we have to have with a sensitivity that we have to have, right? We speak truth and love. Words matter, all right? So we join with them as a church to battle with them. We fight for the ideal. It's important that we are a church that comes together for each other, all right? If you're single or dating, listen to me. Single or dating, there is an impact to the decisions that you make when you're young. That's just the end of it. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or fellowship can light have with darkness. A yoke is this idea of two bowls joining the tasks together to plow in a straight line. That's what yoke means. But if they're not well matched, it's impossible to walk in a straight line. This is one of the challenges it is way easier to set up a marriage on these principles, to have this rule that you never talk about the big D word, and I don't mean Dallas, right, if you remember that little country song. You walk together, yoke together. God's ideal is for you to marry somebody, and a spouse is a precious gift because a spouse that makes you Look more like Jesus is the most precious gift. My wife and I, I am so thankful for Meg. She challenges me every day to look more like Jesus, even when I don't want to. She calls it out in me. Husbands and wives, part of the great gift that marriage is, is that we get to call each other to look more like Jesus on a daily basis. Here's the deal. Generational impact is what I want. I say this over and over again. I'm so sick and tired of looking out the windows and seeing brokenness and just being like, well, this is the new reality. When Jesus has always given us a new reality and we can, we can fight on whatever level and we fight, we're gonna be a church that fights, but we have to start at the basic building blocks of what God set things up to look like. If you grew up in a home with married, uh, uh, with married parents who raised you up in the Lord, you know what a great gift it is. My kids don't feel that right now, but someday they're going to know what a great gift I have given them. Meg and I have given them. It, it, it is a great gift. Let's fight for the ideal together. Let's go ahead and stand up. Come on to play, man. I'm going to pray for each, each group right now. And then I think I am. This is a small group today. I, I'm going to risk it. Maybe no one will come up, and that's fine. I don't want to leave here with people not getting 
prayed over when it comes to relationships. If it's you need healing and forgiveness, if you and your husband and wife just want to get prayed over, if you're single and you're like, I just want to date someone so badly, I can't guarantee that the prayer is going to work, but we're going to pray over it. We're going to pray over it. But I want to pray for each one. Just bow your heads. If you are divorced, let the truth of the gospel set into your heart. Healing, Lord Jesus. It's a journey. Lord, we repent of the things that we did wrong, but we know that your grace is sufficient. So Lord, anybody that, you, that needs to be healed, would your Holy Spirit come in a powerful way right now and heal them, Lord Jesus. Give them the grace that they need, Lord. Speak truth into their lives. Speak peace into their lives. Anybody here who comes from a divorced background, myself included, Lord, would you heal us, Lord Jesus? Would you stop the generational impact that came from that divorce, Lord? In Jesus' name, will you heal us? Will you build in us the strength that we need for healthy marriages, Lord? We have seen unhealthy marriages from generation to generation. We break that curse in Jesus' name. If you come from that, in Jesus' name, let healing take place. Those going through it right now, anyone, anyone who has a challenge in their marriage right now, the peace of God reign in that marriage. Let love reign in that marriage. Let love reign in that marriage. A love that is deep, not superficial. Lord, we pray that hope would enter into marriages. Maybe there's some people here who are hopeless when it comes to marriage. I pray for the hope of the Lord to renew marriages. I pray for the single and the dating. I pray for the lonely. Lord, if there's loneliness in this community, Lord, I pray that they would know that fulfillment only comes from you. If we look for our fulfillment as married couples, we have completely missed it. Meg does not fulfill me. I belong to her, but God, you fulfill me. I am enough because of you. If you are single in this room, you are enough because God says you are enough. There is no man or woman that is going to make you feel happier or more secure or more joyful than you feel right now with the joy of the Lord on you. If you are dating, I pray for purity right now, Lord Jesus. Purity, Lord Jesus, that you would drive people to want to get married if that's your will. But if not, Lord, that there would be a boldness in any relationship that needs to happen. Because, Lord, there's an ideal, there's generational impact that you are setting into place, Lord Jesus, for the dating, Lord. I pray for equal yokedness, Lord, because two people coming together who are on fire for the kingdom is a dangerous thing, Lord. So I pray against any way that the enemy wants to lie or destroy or deceive those who are dating, Lord Jesus. I pray that they would have conversations of what does this look like for us to be in a marriage on fire for the kingdom. Lord, I pray for anyone that needs healing, Lord Jesus. Let your spirit come and heal. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.